If you will, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Good to see all of you in today. It has literally been a very busy week this week, and I thank you for being here. It was 12 months ago today, first time that I stood before you as uh, your senior pastor. Now, for some of you, it seems like a lifetime too long, but I uh, Tate and Tommy and I the other day were talking about the ball game Friday night that in some ways it seems like it's been a lifetime other ways it seems can't we don't think it can be like a year how can that happen when Deborah and I moved here we moved from George County a place that we'd been for five years and connected to the some 34 churches there and when we came here it's like other times is that there's a lot of changes that have to be made. A lot of changes that have to be made. Not complaining about it, just part of the nature of, of what we've committed our lives to and who we've committed our lives to. But we moved from George County over here to Marion County, and there were names to learn and faces to learn. And I will just tell you, we're still doing that. Some I still can... I know by face, I'm still putting the name and face together. And if you really want to get confused, move to Ten Mile Creek and try to put all the family units together. Because everybody's kin to everybody. But I will say this to you, is that one of the things that complicated the process is the pandemic. Because when we got here, many of us were wearing masks. In fact, I saw some come in with masks on, and at first hour we had several still in masks, and that's okay. It's a health issue. It's a personal decision. The point I'm trying to make is when you wear a mask, it's hard to recognize a face. It's hard to see a face and recognize a face. In fact, when I thought about it back in my day, back when we were teenagers, is that we talked about people wearing masks. And when we talked about people wearing masks, it was the fact that they were trying not to show everybody who they were. They were trying to live something and be something, and they really didn't want people to know the real them. Today we are completing this series that you see on the screen, Authentic. And we've been sharing together in Sunday morning messages uh, for six weeks now, actually seven since I was gone one week. And I got to thinking about it this week. I might have, you know, the uh, titles either attract or distract. And I got to thinking about it this week, and I kind of thought that maybe I'd have misnamed it. I should have thought maybe named it this. Instead of authentic, maybe I should have called it keeping it real. Now, that rings with the teenagers. This is a word that younger folks use, you know, and they'll talk about keeping it real means to chill or stay cool. But it also means to act in an honest way, that, that you're not pretending, that you're not putting on, that you're not acting different on the outside than you really are on the inside. That, friends, is keeping it real. 
That, friends, is authentic. It means to be transparent. And I want you to think about this. It means to be transparent. Whether you keep it real or whether you're authentic, it means your outer self is a true reflection of your inner self. As opposed to your inner self, you keep to yourself and you, tell, and you let the world see what you think they want to see, you, you to, to see and you to be and do and what have you. And some of you say, well, Brother Jerry, why in the world did you decide to spend this much time on this topic? Well, there are a number of reasons, but I'll just say that outside the fact that every message that I have preached along this journey, I have sensed God's leadership to that specific message for this specific congregation at this specific time. But the overriding factor is I want you to listen. If you get offended, it's okay. The reason that I felt compelled to this is because in our culture today, in our world today, in our community today, there is so much counterfeit. And especially when it comes to spirituality. I brought us to this place because I feel like in this world where there is so much of the artificial and the counterfeit that the world really needs to see God's people as being authentic and recognize Jesus for who he is, recognize the message of hope for what it is. Because this world, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we blow it off or not, whether we dismiss it or not, the world needs Jesus. And if we don't give them Jesus, they're not going to find him. This world needs an authentic Christian. It needs an authentic church living an authentic life, an authentic way, giving an authentic view of Jesus. They need to see, please listen, people who are not in this building today, they need to see authentic characteristics of Jesus, authentic qualities of Jesus, authentic fruit of people who follow Jesus, authentic motives, authentic motivations, authentic Attitudes, authentic actions built on authentic relationships. The world needs what Jesus offers and what we profess to offer. This book gives relationship after relationship, quality after quality, story after story about authentic people living in an authentic world. But listen. It also points out the counterfeit, the, count, the fake. In our day in Purvis, the phonies. Those folks who said one thing, get up in church and give a great testimony on Sunday and live like the devil on Saturday. Those folks who get up and sing on Sunday and live like the devil on Saturday. That's who we're talking about. The Bible speaks to that. In fact, you just hold your horses down the road, there'll be a message on this text. The prophet Isaiah, over in Isaiah 29, said this, and then Jesus quoted it. This is what he said. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We come to 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's a powerful chapter. Most of the time we read it over in a cursory way, but if you were to go home and, and hover over it and read it and digest it, it's powerful and it's inspirational. We're going to hover over the third of four therefores in the chapter. Therefore, number one is in verse 9. It says, therefore, whether we're at home or away, we will make it our aim to be pleasing to him, authenticity. Verse 11 says, therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. The fear of the Lord. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, do you get that? You know what an ambassador is. It's someone who represents someone in an authentic way. And we're going to go to that third in verse 17. Would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? Verse 17. It's a very familiar verse. I've quoted it many times for you. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts in the next moments. Call us together. Call us to be your people. Convict us where we've been counterfeit. Convict us where we've been inauthentic. Convict us where we've worn a mask. Convict us to where we've been a phony. And draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Over the past 12 months, I've quoted this verse, and I've probably given a lot of this outline over and over and over, but verse 17 gives us the path, the roadway, the highway to becoming an authentic Christian. And we're going to be confronted with a message today, and we can do several things. I look around the crowd and already know that some folks are just ready to let this be water off their back. They're going to dismiss it. But this is God's word. He's speaking into your heart. And here's what I want to tell you. He knows what's going on in your life right now. He knows what's going on in your heart right now. He knows how distracted you are. He knows what you're thinking about. He knows where you're headed to. But this, this particular verse will give us the foundation and the function and the framework to become an authentic Christian if we'll let it. I'm going to give you four thoughts. If you've got those bulletins, you can write them down if you'd like to. It begins with the condition. It begins with the condition. That condition is found, therefore, here it is, if anyone is in Christ. I want to say that again. If. There's the condition. If. If. This is important to Paul. Because everybody is not in Christ. Just because you walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, got baptized, have your name on the roll, you're not necessarily in Christ. If you are in Christ, it was important to Paul, it's important to us today, and it's important for you. You see, being in Christ is a synonym that we can find in the letter to the church at Ephesus where Paul really highlighted that in Christ. Here's what I want to say to you today. If you are in Christ, your journey will be exciting. 
If you're in the church and you decide that you want one foot in the church and one foot in the world, you're going to be in stress the rest of your life. You're going to be in pain the rest of your life because Christ is going to call you to do something and the world's going to call you to do something. And whoever you respond to is your God. You see, it's time for us to ask today, am I really in Christ? If anyone That means that everybody comes the same way. Everybody's welcomed. Everybody's invited. If anyone. It's a condition. But now if you are in Christ, let's get on the journey. Here's how it happens. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That's the transformation. That's the transformation that has happened to you. Or that's the transformation that will happen to you. Please listen, if you are in Christ, he has made you a new creation. We spoke of this at length last week. You see, the truth is, Jesus said the only way to be in the family of God is through the new birth. I say this so much, people get tired of it. I've already said it in this message, I'm going to say it again because I'll... Repetition is the mother of, the lear- of learning. Everyone is not a child of God. Everyone is not a child of God. Everyone's a creation of God. But the only way you get to be a child of God is to be born into the family. Jesus said, except you're born again, you'll not see the kingdom. And when you're born into the family, this is the change in your life. When Jesus Christ brings you, watch this, from darkness to light. From death to life. From on your way to hell to on your way to heaven. From, from if you will, he changed you from a saint, sinner and he made you a saint. That's the power of the transformation. When he saved you, he changed you, he transformed you, he restored you. And he gave you, listen folks, he gave you everything you need To become everything he wants you to become. It's kind of like a caterpillar to a fly. A caterpillar to a butterfly. You studied that in science, didn't you? That caterpillar has everything in its DNA it needs to fly. Everything it needs to become that butterfly. But you know what the truth is? That caterpillar can't fly until it experiences the metamorphosis, the transformation that occurs. So it learns to fly. It develops wings. It has a sense. It has everything it needs to be able to fly. And then when it's transformed, flying becomes just as easy as breathing. Because it's the natural result of the transformation. Every human being has it written into their DNA. The design to know and worship God. And in the absence of worshiping God, we will worship whatever we can find. 
It's kind of like leadership. I heard on a, on a movie in the years, years, years past, said in the absence of leader, in absence of real leadership, people will listen to whoever steps to the microphone. In the absence of, of finding real God, we will worship something. If you go in the bush of Africa, you know what you discover? They got totem poles. They got gods that they built because they have innately in them as a design of God to worship something. We here, we have Jehovah God, but you know what? We have all kind of weird gods in America. Well, what's my God? Well, whatever controls you is your God. Whatever controls your schedule. Whatever controls your life. That's your God. Oh, no, I'm a Christian. I come to church every Sunday. Well, fine. What controls your life Monday to Saturday? That's your God. You see, if the world has any of you, God doesn't have all of you. May I say that again? If the world has any of you, God doesn't have all of you. And if God has all of you, the world doesn't have any of you. Transformation comes within us and it changes our want to, it changes our direction. And that only comes, please listen, Baptists don't like me to say this, but I'm, I'm a Baptist preacher and I'm going to say it anyway. Only comes through the Holy Spirit of God. Only comes through the Holy Spirit of God. I'll preach a message in a couple of weeks talking about this word gives us all the information that we need. Last week we heard Moody say, this Bible is not for information, it's for transformation. Here's the deal. The Bible gives you the word and the Holy Spirit does the transformation. It's that simple. Holy Spirit goes with you wherever, wherever we need to go. You see, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and it shows us that part of ourselves that we need to know because we need to recognize that we're sinful and that we're separated from our Creator. We're in need of a Savior. And then that Holy Spirit gives us the power and, and makes a change within us. <laughs> makes a change within us. Now, some of us knuckleheads don't want to be changed. I didn't say this first hour. But I'll tell you what it's like. You see, when you get saved, you're cha you're, you change your places. And it's kind of like you can take a pig. Everybody know what a pig is here? No? Nobody knows what a pig is here? Oh, thank you. I got, I got one. I see that hand. A pig. You can take a pig and you can clean him up. You can give him a bath. You can shampoo him. You can put uh, perfume on him. You can put a bow on him. And you can put him right over here and you turn that rascal loose and he's going to run right back to the mire. Because he's never been anything else but a pig. The truth is, is that I, I think about Andrew, Peter, James, and John. They were fishermen all their lives. I mean, they worked on the boat. This was hard work. And I'll just tell you, uh, I got after the first service, uh, um, Cheryl came by and said, Man, you were tough on those fishermen today, didn't you, preacher? And I'll just tell you. Fishermen, professional fishermen that work on the boat work hard. They work hard today, but today they got winches for those uh, nets. Back then, those guys did it with their arms. And everybody knows if you've been on that kind of a boat, you know that uh, the professional fishermen don't necessarily use Sunday school language. Y'all got what I'm trying to communicate here? Y'all got it? Okay. I mean, Jesus went to... 
Andrew, Peter. Gosh, I can't even imagine. Peter cussed in the, uh, um, in the, uh, 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 I can't even think of the name. It's not in the garden, but he, and, uh, and when he was following Jesus in, and Jesus was about to be baptized, he cussed then. Can you imagine what he taught, what it was like before Jesus transformed him? And, and Jesus said, look, guys, y'all been fishing for fish doing this hard work. I'm going to give you some harder work, but it's got more, better, it's got better results. So come follow me. And he took them from the land of fishing for fish to the land of fishing for men. It was a total transformation for them. Probably a, a re-education for them. But this is transformation, taking us where, from where we are and putting us to where he wants us to be. That's what that transformation is, is all about. And it makes you something new. So I want to ask you. I want to ask you. Has Jesus really made you into something and someone new? Or did you just walk an aisle and try to change your mind? We're about to get to that. And just change your mind and try to reform your life. If anyone's in Christ, the condition, he's a new creation, transformation. Here comes the reformation. Old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. Now, I didn't say this first hour, but when I read, when I read this, old things passed away. That means old things died. You know, when somebody passes away, things die. Old things are passed away. You see, to be transformed in your heart, to be transformed is your new birth. To be reformed is your new way of life. It's your new behavior. It's your new walk. So you have, are y'all paying attention? You have the transformation. And because you have the transformation and things are changed in your life, you have the reformation, the being reformed. And that means means some things change in your life. Now, there are some people who have gotten that out of order. This is important. They try to reform their life without letting Jesus transform their life. Oh, they get away. They got away with with the... Smoking and cussing and drinking and running wild and doing all these things over here. I can list all of them. And they try to change their life by behavior modification. And they, they're just going to modify their life, but they weren't going to go as far. They weren't going to get weird enough. They weren't going to get um, uh, fanatical enough to give Jesus their heart because they still had some things they wanted to do. But they were just going to, they were going to change their life themselves. You know what I've discovered in traveling around 50 years behind the pulpit? People who have never been transformed and they tried to reform their life with behavior modification, pretty soon they burn out, they fall away. Something at the church is just not enough to hang on to them anymore because what they're doing is they've got ministries or activities that keep them involved in the church, but there's never been any transformation in their heart. They are left to their loans, so they became they become the Eustace Society. Have you have you ever seen the Eustace Society? Every time I go to a new church, I run into the Eustace Society. Watch this. I used to go to that church. I used to be in Sunday school. 
I used to teach Sunday school. I used to sing in the choir. I used to sing a solo. You see, the truth is, too many have joined the church and tried to reform their life without allowing Jesus to transform their life. Brother Jerry, that's pretty hard. I don't think I believe that. Well, let me get it a little harder for you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, this is what John writes in Holy Scripture. He says, and they went out from us. But they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that, so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. You see... For those who have joined Jesus, for those who have been born again, for those who have been transformed, the most natural thing in the world is this change. And as your life has been changed through transformation, you put some things down, you put some things away, you put some things off as we're told in Ephesians. The truth is, is that the Reformation is about your life being reformed. If you just think you got saved and you didn't have to change anything, you didn't have to put anything away, you don't know the Bible. I mentioned a while ago, Paul wrote the book, uh, the letter of, to, to the church at Ephesus. He wrote this letter to second to the. He wrote this letter that we call Second Corinthians in about 55, 56 A.D. Three, four, five years later, he wrote the the letter to the church. At Ephesus, and in that, if you go and read that letter at Ephesus, you know what you'll discover? You'll discover repeatedly the concept of being in Christ. When we were dead in our trespasses of sin, but now we're alive because we're in Christ. Say it again. He, he brought us out of darkness into light. Here's the big deal. Watch this. Supernatural. Death to life. Have any of you ever seen anybody come back from the dead? Anybody? From the dead? Supernatural. And yet that's what Jesus did for the people who have been transformed. In Ephesians, Paul covers it very well. And he says, now that you're alive, here's what we need to do. We need to put off your former conduct. We need to, there's some things that you need to put off. We need to put on Jesus. Hey, that's being transformed and reformed. And even more. And and we need to put away some things. And then he listed, are y'all ready? We need to put away some things. You need to put away lying and stealing and laziness and profane talk and anger and wrath and bitterness and malice. You're now a kingdom resident if you've been transformed. You've been moved from this place to this place. And you're supposed to live like you're here. Hello? I told the first hour that I frightened the staff. You should have seen the look of fear on their eyes Wednesday. When I told them I was going to do this. Are you ready? Let me tell you a story about a man named Jed. Poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food. 
And up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oh, that is black gold, Texas tea. First thing you know, Jed's a millionaire. Ken folks said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California's the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly Hills, that is, swimming pool and movie stars. Now I'm going to ask, I got young people. How many people actually do remember that song and the show? I got a few. The Beverly Hillbillies. Go on YouTube, you'll see some funny stuff. Because here's the thing. They moved. Jed Clampett is a poor mountain man. And one of the things about being a poor mountain man, that's like being a poor country man, you don't know you're poor because you got all you think you, you think you got all you need, and you really do. But he was a poor mountain man. He struck oil on his land. Now he's worth multi-million dollars. And so all the kin folks said, You don't belong in the hills and the poor folks. Go to Beverly Hills. And so they loaded up this, I think it was a 1912 A model or something. You can tell me later, Joe. You remember it. Is that they loaded up this truck, and I still remember Granny sitting on the back in her rocking chair as they drove into town. And for nine seasons, they made us laugh. And you know what's so funny? Is that they had been accustomed to living in the mountains of Tennessee, and now they're living in the hills of Beverly. And... And they're still living in this ritzy, high-sophisticated area, just like they lived in the hills. That's right. Yes, ma'am. You know, in nine seasons, they never could figure out that cement pond. Now, kids, what that was, the cement pond was the huge swimming pool in the back. Jethro never understood this, that, that the pool guy put chlorine in the pool, and Jethro kept trying to stock that thing with fish so he could fish in the cement pond, and the fish kept dying. He never understood it. They never understood the doorbell. Do y'all remember that? That doorbell would go off. And they'd go, what is that noise coming out of the wall? And then somebody would go, and they said, you know, that's what happens every time the noise comes out of the wall. Somebody comes to the door. Hello. I mean, they never bought a new car. They really never bought new clothes. They lived, <coughs> they lived as they were living in Tennessee in California. Do you know what the truth is? You know what that funny story tells us? That when we're transformed and we're brought from one kingdom to another, many of us are still trying to live like we're in the old kingdom. We're trying to live, we're trying to make our own food, we're trying to make our own way. When you've been saved, you've been transformed from darkness to light. You've been given life. Before I pass this point, there are many, many, many of us who don't want to put things off. We want to hang on to everything that we're pretty good. We don't want to put anything away. We don't want to put some things down. We don't want to put things to death. And if you don't put those things down, you will never put on the new. You will never take up his ways. The truth is is that the counterfeit has to stop so that the authentic can take over. Some of us hang on to the old way of life for all we're worth. When you're transformed, you're changed. When you're reformed, your outer life begins to take on a look. Because then, 
Okay, let me just walk this through before we punch the last one up there. The condition, if, if you are in Christ, that's the condition. The transformation, you're a new creation. The reformation is old things are passed away. See, all things are new is the conformation that you're being conformed into the image of Christ. The new has come. Now, folks, let's just be honest. We're just country folks together in church. We love new things. We love new cars. We love new golf clubs. We, we love new boats. We love, we all, we love a new house if we can ever get in it, can't we? don't we, Steve? We, we love new things. They smell good. They look good. They feel good. But I want to just say this to you. Being conformed into the image of Christ is the essential part of moving from a, a, just being a believer to being an authentic Christian. And it feels wonderful. Romans 12, 2. You can write it down. I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time. 12, 2 tells us to not, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. All of that's important. Don't be conformed to this world. And the Bible, it seems to indicate to you and me that we are going to be conformed to something. We are going to be conformed to something. I hate to say it, teenagers. Too often, as teenagers, not just you guys, the old folks, us old folks are here. Too often teenagers are conformed by their, other, by their fellow teenagers, by their friends. Conformed into their image. Truth is, is that if we, if we don't intentionally conform into the image of Christ, the image of darkness will pull us back to it. Scripture in, in Romans says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I personally believe this is one of the reasons that the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In the past couple of weeks, I've seen people in services that I haven't seen in three months. What are we, feeling, what are we feeding ourselves on when we, when we don't assemble together? You see, when we come together, we, we feed our minds. By the way, watch this. We feed our minds, and that transforms our heart. Oh, this is connected? Yeah. We feed our minds, transformed our heart, and out of our heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaks. Everything we do is interconnected. In our, in our meeting today, you are getting your mind fed with God's Word, what He says. And when it feeds your mind, it impacts your heart, and your heart controls what you say. Oh, Brother Jerry, you think it's that good? Well, yeah, it could be. Except if you have a bad heart, and the Word of God goes in it, and your heart rejects the Word, then the Word of the evil one comes out. That's another message we'll hear down the road. I heard it two weeks ago. It changed my thought and my life. Where it talks about good trees and bad trees, and it talks about a good fruit and bad fruit, and and the and the preacher said, 
Your heart is the tree. Your heart is the tree. And your mouth is the fruit of that tree. And the scripture says, can a good tree produce bad fruit? Can a bad tree produce good fruit? You see, being transformed by Christ means being something new in Christ and being reformed by Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit to get rid of the bad things of the world and to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we can be called Christian. In case you're really all excited about being called a Christian, let me, let me give you some biblical perspective on that. If I call this man's name, some of you would know it, so I'm not going to call it, but he's a radio personality, Christian radio personality, and he was having a struggle. And the lost people said, well, that ain't even Christian. Now, they may have been wrong, but here's the truth. He went on to say, well, there you go. The non-Christians are going to tell us Christians what we're supposed to be like. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't confess this first hour, so don't you confess it for me, okay? Is that I shouted at the radio in my car. That's exactly what happened in the New Testament is that the non-Christians saw the people at Antioch and they saw that they were so much like Jesus that they termed them little Christians. It's not just a decision you make, it's a life that you live. When we become authentic Christians, we develop actions of harmony and unity in accordance with Christ because we act like Christ. Good times, bad times, stressful times, peaceful times... We act like Christ. And what we say by our attitudes toward one another. Then we live out the great commandment. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your neighbor is yourself. New commandment I give to you. Love one another as I've loved you. It's all right there. And then we live out the great commission. And then we live out the great commission, sharing our lives with others so people can see Jesus. Then people see Jesus as joyful and encouraging and spirit-filled and, and unselfish and a sensitive people that serve. How does that stack up in your life? Oh, Brother Jerry, that's a great message. Well, yeah, what did I say? I don't have a clue. This is a message for us today. There was a little boy sitting beside his dad in church one day. And he asked him, he said, Daddy, what's a Christian? Daddy, what's a Christian? And his dad replied, "Ah, A Christian is a person who loves and obeys God. He's a person who loves his friends and neighbors and even his enemies. He prays often. He's gentle and he's kind and he's holy. And he's more interested in going to heaven than in all the earthly riches. That son is a Christian. The boy got a little puzzled look on his face and he thought about it a second. And he said, Dad, have I ever seen one? And 
Joyce Meyer made this statement. I'll read it for you. This generation is desperately searching for something authentic. People are always watching us. They are watching us to see if we are the real deal. Without a transformed heart, we can never be the light that the world around us so desperately needs. Stop acting and start being. I read this statement this morning. Stop acting like a Christian and just be one. That's what Christ calls us to do, to be authentic, to be Christian, Christ-like in everything we say and everything we do. We live in a crazy world, folks. And when we think it's the light at the end of the, tu- end of the darkness, that light we see is an oncoming train to hit us. There's a song, and I didn't even check it between the services. There's a song that comes to my mind. It's been in most of the hymnals. It may be in our new hymnal. Here are the lyrics. While passing through this world of sin, and others your life shall view. Be clean and pure without and within, and let others see Jesus in you. The last verse challenges us when it says, Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, brave, and true. And lead the lost to life and light. Do others see Jesus in you? Do the people who know you know that you know Jesus? Friends are big stuff today. I can't imagine you not introducing your best friend. And I can't imagine if someone's brought you from darkness to light, death to life, not being your best friend. Let's pray together.